happy for that that one day there will be a day we'll fly away the devil will come looking for us like he looked for Moses can't find us he'll wonder what happened we'll be gone amen God bless you all I want to welcome everyone to the house of the Lord and maybe we could just go to the Lord in prayer as we before we turn to the word Heavenly Father we just thank you for your presence Lord Lord when your presence comes Lord that's when all the doubt can go away all the fear can go away and we can come and relax and rest in your presence Lord Jesus and Lord you've looked for a place to dwell in us Lord where you could rest oh God and I pray that you'd find empty vessels here tonight Lord where you could come and you could be comfortable and you could let go and relax in us too Lord Jesus Lord we want to welcome you tonight I pray that you take the words that would be spoken Lord I pray that you'd that you'd anoint them, that you'd open my mouth, that you'd shut my mouth, and Lord, that you'd just guide me and lead me in what you'd want me to say. Lord, I give myself to you. I can't do it, but you can, Lord. We love you, Lord, with all of our hearts. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. 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 God bless you. That's all the singing will do. And I wonder if we could turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, and then to Psalms 91. First Peter chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1. It says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. That's you and that's me. Ye also as lively stones are built up and spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. I'll ask you a question. Have we believed on him? Throughout COVID, throughout all the trials, has the bride been ashamed, confounded? The world said, well, look at that group. No. God's been with us all the time. God's been with us all the way through. He's present, and he's with us. I wonder if we could turn to to Psalms chapter 91. If you ever feel down, if you ever feel helpless, if you ever feel afraid, this is an amazing chapter. Read the chapter. I believe I'd heard Brother Ron Spencer say one time that he would read this every morning. This was something that had helped him. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night or for the arrow that flieth by day nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand but it shall not Become nigh thee, only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. God bless you. You can have your seats. My title tonight, I have a little thought that I've just been on my mind and heart is Zion, God's house of refuge. And really, if I could simplify it or distill it for one moment, it's we're Zion. We're God's house. He's come to dwell in us. 
And it's a refuge for us to dwell in him. And it's a refuge for him to dwell in us. And when he dwells in us, what could we be afraid of? Now, God, back in the beginning, God dwelt alone. He dwelt with his own thoughts. He was, it was just God. It was himself. It was his own thoughts. But he had a desire. He had a thought that he had wanted expressed. He had many different thoughts that he had expressed. You were one of his thoughts, and I was one of his thoughts. But he had a desire that it would be more than just him. He didn't want to just be alone. In fact, when he was alone, he wasn't even God, because God is an object of worship, and God desired worship. Brother Branham would, would say, if I can find it, and I probably can't, but he would say in the message, Christ is the mystery of God my revealed, he would say, to my opinion, the first thing he created was angels. And they began to worship him. And that made him God, because now he was an object of worship. But then he would go beyond that. There was something more that he wanted in the message, fellowship with God through reconciliation. Brother Branham would say, in the beginning, when man used to walk in the early age with God in the Garden of Eden, when the first man was created in the great cathedrals under the palms, he and his wife in the cool of the evening come along, they come out and worshipped God. They had a what? A perfect fellowship. God longs for fellowship. He couldn't just exist alone. He needed you and me to complete his whole thought, his whole desire. He yearns. He wants people to speak with him. To talk to him, you might, he says, you might sing too much, you might preach too much sometimes, but there's one thing you'll never be able to overdo, and that's pray. Amen. The Bible said, I would, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. You'll never be able to have too much fellowship with God, and God longs for his creature, who he created in his image, to fellowship with him. Wouldn't you have loved to live in, lived in that time with the great fellowship God had with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Eden, to come down in the cool of the evening and talk with him and fellowship with him? One day, one day we will. One day there'll be no burdens, nothing to inhibit, and it'll be a perfect existence with God. So God desires fellowship. And right now I just want to build up this idea that we are Zion. And God wants to dwell in us. That's where I'm going. God desires fellowship. And so first, we see in the Old Testament, first he, he, he was above us with the children of Israel. He was above the children of Israel in a pillar of fire, in a, in a, in a cloud. And he led them and he guided them. But it wasn't God truly with them. It was God above them somewhere else in the heavens. There was, a, there was a distance. There was a separation. And though God spoke to Moses, there was still a place where they had to go through a prophet. And there was a, there was a separation still, though God was above them. Then there was a, but he didn't stop there. And that's the beautiful part about God. He didn't stop just there. He wanted to keep going farther to express himself and to have a people with him. Then he came in the flesh as Jesus Christ. So now it was God with us. He could understand us in a new way because he was born. He raised up. He went through his ups and his downs and his emotions. And he had a family. He had a father that passed away. He understood those things. An earthly father. It wasn't his father. But you understand how it was in the relation. How he would have passed away. And he would have had friends that would have been sick. Or so many things to understand us. It was God with us. But he didn't stop there. He died. He paid the perfect sacrifice, and then he sent the comforter. He opened up a channel for the comforter to come and live in us. Now he is indwelling a bride. Brother Brandon would say, and who is this Melchizedek? That was God above us, God with us. Now it's God in us, the Holy Spirit, not the third person, the same person. God came down and became flesh, died the death in Christ so that he could clean the church in order to get into it for fellowship. God loves fellowship. That's what he made the man at the first time for, was for fellowship. God dwells alone with cherubims. And now notice he made man. Man fell, and so he came down and redeemed man because God loves to be worshipped. The very word God means object of worship. So God would also dwell in places of worship in the Old Testament. We would find that he would be in the tabernacle that was covered in badger skins. There was a certain order, the holy place, the holiest of holies, all these places. But it, that tabernacle was where he would come, where people would come and they could meet him for worship. It was the place where he could come. Of all the places on the earth, there when the tabernacle was in the wilderness, that's where he could rest. That was the place he could go. 
He could travel through the earth maybe, and maybe there'd be people he could help or things he could do, but there was one place where he truly met man because man would come and they would be forgiven for their sins with the sacrifice, and now they could talk to him, and he could talk to them. It was a place where there could be true worship and a rest for God and the worshiper. We know that the scriptures would say that um, in Stephen preaching to the Pharisees, he would say, our fathers, in Acts chapter 7, our fathers had the tabernacle of, of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. He had seen a tabernacle in heaven somewhere. It wasn't just an earthly tabernacle, but it was somewhere else. Which also our father that came after brought in with Jesus unto the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out from the face of our fathers unto the days of David. Now David found favor with God and wanted to make a better tabernacle. Who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. And then he says this. As much as there was a physical tabernacle in the wilderness, as much as there was a beautiful temple of Solomon, howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. As saith the prophet, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me? And God asks, where is the place of my rest? So God was looking for a place of final rest, a place that he could finally come and say, this is what I was looking for the whole time. As much as I had a tabernacle there, as much as Solomon had built a beautiful temple, as much as the temple had been torn down in the Babylonian times and rebuilt, there was still something more that God wanted. There was a people he wanted to indwell. There was you and I that he wanted to come to. Now, in the Bible, we would see that that was Zion. How many knows that Brother Branham would say that Zion is always the bride? In the message, Future Home, he says... And it shall come to pass, he's reading a scripture, that he that is left in Zion and he that is a remnant in Jerusalem shall, let's see, in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem, wherein the Lord shall have watched away the filth of the daughters of Zion. And Brother Branham would say, remember, that's always the bride. So when we go through the scripture and we see Zion, that's me and that's you. And there's something so beautiful about those verses that come out. In the scriptures, in Psalms 102, it says, My days are, are a shadow that declineth, and I'm withered like grass. But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion, for the time to favor her, yea, the set time is come. For thy servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. So shall the heathen fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory when the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. In verse 21 it says, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion. We know that God, in order to be worshipped, Brother Brandon would preach the message, God's provided place of worship. And what he would say was, the only place that true worship could be accepted, where God could have fellowship, was where he put his name. So here it says, he's put the name of the Lord in Zion. He's put it in you, and he's put it in me, and he wants to dwell with us and in us. I wonder if we could turn to Psalms chapter 132. Looking at God, now God desires Zion. There was a place he wanted for rest, and this was that place. In verse one, it says, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come up into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I found a place for the Lord. Until I found an habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. The city of David was Zion. Lo, we have heard of it at Ephratah, and we found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let the priests be clothed with righteousness. Let thy saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord hath spoken truth, has sworn in truth unto David. 
He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. If thy children keep my commandment and my testimony, that I shall teach them, and their children also shall sit upon thy throne forever. And then it says this, For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. Where was his place of rest? What did he desire? Where, 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 he, he asked, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, where is my rest? He hath desired Zion for his habitation. That's you. And that's me. Psalms chapter 87. It, it's, it's a short seven verses. It says, His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. As much as he loves his children in Israel, we're the bride. And there's something so beautiful about that. Glorious things are spoken of the O city of God, Selah. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Behold Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. They would say, this man is born there. There's a great man in Tyre and Ethiopia. But, and of Zion it shall be said, this and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there, Selah. God desires Zion. There's something about Zion that he wants to express and show. He wants to dwell there. He wants to live there. And I believe when we get the Holy Ghost, when we walk with God and when we live with God, he comes in and dwells us. Zion wasn't always in a perfect condition. In the scripture, we talk, they, there's talk about the filth of the daughters of Zion. Or there's talk about how a restoration would be needed. And yet God comes. And yet God changes. And God heals and saves. Why? There's something to catch. It almost sounds, I'll say, and forgive me for saying it, dumb and obvious. But if God is present, then God is present. If God comes and lives in you, if God comes and dwells in you, and if God come and chose you as his bride, then it's God living in you. Amen. The all-powerful, almighty God. He's the one that's present. In 1 Kings chapter 8, we see Solomon dedicating the temple. Now, this was the, the temple after the tabernacle, and I... I'll see if I can find it. First Kings chapter 8, we see that there was a whole process that they wanted to dedicate it right. They had animals and sacrifices, and there was a whole process to get it right. Yeah. And in, in chapter, in, in verse 10, it says, And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, they had done different things, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. So God came. They had done all the things. They've gotten themselves prepared. They had built the tabernacle of worship, the place for God to rest. And then God came. So that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Then spake Solomon, the Lord said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have surely built thee in a house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever. And then he begins to pray in verse 22. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath who keepeth, keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart. Amen. And he goes on and he begins to pray different prayers, different things. And, and God begins to, to, to take him at his word. Because he would say, if any man trespass against his brother, and I'm just kind of jumping through a few different ones. In verse 31, if any man trespass against his brother, and an oath be laid upon him to cause him to swear, then he calls out to God to help him. When, when thy people Israel be smitten down before the enemy, when they have, because they have sinned against thee, and shall turn again to thee, and confess thy name and pray, then hear thou in heaven. When the heaven is shut up and there's no rain because they have sinned against thee. Now remember, God's come into the building and he begins to pray. Forget, then forget, uh, if thou, when, the, when the heaven is shut up and there's no rain because they have sinned against thee, if they pray towards this place and confess thy name, turn away from their sin, when thou afflictest them, then hear in heaven. If there be famine in the land, all of these things, God 
Be our deliverer. He's praying, God, be our healer. God, be our savior. Be our victor. He's calling on God for all of these things in help. And why could he ask for that? God was present. God was there. God had come in a way. They had set all of the things in order. And now God had come. And so they could ask. And God was there to heal. God was there to deliver. Why? Because God was present. He was there. God is a God that delivers from trouble. We know in the Old Testament, it, there was places of refuge. And I'm, I know I'm moving very quickly to this, to this, to this. And I hope it's not too, I don't know, sporadic. But there was places of refuge that was set out for the children of Israel. In Joshua chapter 20, it says, The Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses. That, he, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares, he, san, he, he, sand, he sinned unwillingly, or it was manslaughter. He didn't mean to do it, and someone died. And now there was a place, because it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and the man was chasing him. There was something wrong in that poor man's life who had done something wrong by accident. He didn't mean to do it, just like we don't mean to do it. In our hearts, when there's a new birth, when there's a change in our heart, we will have sins, but they're not because we're children of disobedience. We might be a disobedient child for a while. We might have a moment where we'd stumble and fall, but in our hearts, we're not of the children of disobedience. So there was a place that a person like that could go to in the Old Testament and escape the wrath of the person that had, the family of the man that he had killed. They would run to a city of refuge. But we know that as much as God wants to dwell in us, we can dwell in him. And in Proverbs 18, 10, it would say the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous can run into it and are safe. So where God is, God is. He's God. He's in control. We know that as well... We know that there was seven compound names, and I'm pointing out different parts of it all. There were seven compound names of Jehovah. Jehovah, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah, I believe, Nissi, Jehovah, and it meant different things. Jehovah, our banner. Jehovah, our peace. Jehovah, I believe, our righteousness. Jehovah, the God that provides. In order for all of those to be true, and I'm trying to get to this to say he's with us. Is all I'm trying to say is pointing out this and pointing out that. In order for all of those redemptive names, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shammah, all of those things that he promised, just like he had prayed, that Solomon had prayed, be our deliverer, be our savior, be our healer, be our help. In order for any of those to be true, he had to be Jehovah Shammah, which is the Lord is present. Because in order to do anything for you, he has to be present. He has to be with you. Brother Branham would say, in the seven compound names of Jehovah, and Abraham got the ram and untied his son and tied the ram and offered the ram as a sacrifice. And notice it wasn't a vision. Blood poured from the ram. What was it? God in a type spoke Christ into existence. And the ram took his life and he went out of existence just at the same time. And then he says, Jehovah Jireh. And we've heard probably of any of the seven compound names, we've heard that one over and over. We know that one. God has provided himself a sacrifice. We know that one. But there's another part to it. No matter when God God's took at his word, God is there to meet his word, Jehovah Jireh. Then Brother Branham says, just one more little thing. Now the Lord is our refuge and strength, he says. A very present help in the times of trouble. And in the redemptive names, S-H-A-M-M-A-H, Shammah, the Lord is present. Now Jehovah Jireh will provide. Jehovah the provider is present, he says. You get what I mean. If he is the Lord's provided sacrifice, then he's got to be the Lord God present in the time of help. See what I mean? Now, if he's here tonight to save everybody from sin, he's got to be present tonight to fulfill the rest of these redemptive names. 
He's Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah, our provided sacrifice, our healer, our banner, our peace, our shepherd, our righteousness, and his presence. He's got to be all of that right now. At the last of his redemptive names that he appeared to Abraham, he said, I'm Jehovah Rapha, the provided one to provide a sacrifice. Provide the way, God will provide it. And I'm Jehovah that healeth thee, and I am thy righteousness. He says, I am thy peace, and I am thy shield, I am thy banner, and I'm ever present to perform it. You see what I mean? Ever present to perform it. I, the Lord, have spoken it. I've made many promises. I've made many promises to Zion. I've had a desire to dwell in Zion. And I'm present now. And I'm here now. I, the Lord, have planted it. And I water it day and night, lest I should pluck it from my hand. So then I'll ask you, if he's promised so many things for us, healing, deliverance, salvation, our families, jobs, all of the things that we need for our daily life and the life to come. And if he's promised that we're Zion and he's called us to be Zion and he wanted a place to dwell and he wanted a place to rest and that's us. And if he's present to fulfill all of his promises, if he is Jehovah Shammah present, if he's with us and if it's God is with us so God is with us, what can we fear? What could stop us? What could hold us back from getting to the promise? Because God is present and willing and able to fulfill all that he's promised. The devil can come against us. The enemy can set up a situation that looks completely impossible. The enemy can put all of the things in front of us. He can give a a, a global pandemic. He can try to separate us. And all it does is make us more grateful to come back together. Dumb devil. The devil can throw all of the things in the way that he wants to. People can say things. Things can happen. But God has made promises. He's present to fulfill it. So what can we fear? Why would we fear? What could we fear? God's our house of refuge. Brother Branham would tell a story. And we know it well, but I just want to go through it a little bit. He says it's just a little story, a personal story. It's the one that he, when he went on the hunting trip with his wife and he got lost. I want to look at that and we can hit situations in our life where it looks like there's no way out. And not only is it just affecting us, but it could be our family. In this case, Brother Branham had a wife and a baby up in the mountains. And it was not just that he he could have hidden away, but there was more lives at stake. We can reach moments in our lives where we hit a, a hard time that we, it's beyond human aid. It's beyond something that we can do in ourselves. But God is a very present help in a time of trouble. Brother Brandon would talk about how he loved the outdoors because it's alone. And then I'm drinking in to give out, and we need to do that too. Slip away. Make sure that we have something to give when the time comes that God calls on us to give. We went up into the Adirondacks, and I was supposed to hunt up there with that ranger, and I love to bear hunt, and, and he begins to talk about, you know, his love, and it was his grandfather, he believed was the best hunter in all the area, and why he might have had that desire to hunt, and, and then he goes back, and he says, so then up in the Adirondack, the ranger wasn't there, wouldn't be up there for two or three days, and there hadn't been much storms to run the animals down, so I went up there, and we just built a little lean-to, and, and hiked, and he knew this part of his life. This is what he was comfortable in. When he was done preaching, when he was done with the family, when he was done different things, that's where he went. He went to hunt. He knew that part of his life. He was in control, or so he thought. So we was up there, and, and I went up, and we built a little lean-to, and, and I'm just kind of looking for a, a line here. And it kind of looked like it might come a storm, and so I said, he says to his wife, honey, before the ranger comes, we're going to hunt bear, and I'm going to slip down along some of the old choppings. A few years ago, they chopped some timber out here, and I said, I'll go over there and get us a deer and come back, and we'll have some fresh venison. And she said, don't be gone too long. And I said, all right, and that night had been awful cold. And we had just put Billy right between us and hold him like that to keep him from freezing. She'd never been in the woods before, didn't know much about it, and we went out the next day, and I took my little old rifle and went out this way. And, well, I thought I was too good of a woodsman to ever get lost. So I'd been in the woods all my life, and, and now you couldn't turn me around. 
And I, I went down this way to the little old choppings. And I turned back and seen a lot of deer tracks. They looked like they was sharp-toed and so forth, being does. And I went up over the mountain this way, and I heard something moving in the bushes. And I listened close, and I, I heard it had four feet moving, but it wasn't a hoof. It was a padded foot, and it begins to chase. And comes out and wonder what that could be. It was pretty dark and happened to look and a lion crosses his path and he was too quick. I didn't get a shot at him and well, I'll slip up this way and that and I'll be in below uh, Hurricane Mountain and, and it looks like there's a storm coming in pretty soon. And so he's out in his element. He's out where he's comfortable. He's out where he knows how to do it. He's out where he knows what to do. In his spot where I, I've done this before. This is what I've done all my life. This is what I love. My grandfather did this. He was the best in the area. And I've gotten that from him. And I, now I can't get lost. I'm just going to go out and get some fresh meat. We'll come back. But God had something else to show him. I'm a present help in the time of trouble. And God will let you sometimes go out on your limb that you think you're comforted, confident on. And he'll let it happen. He'll let it happen to me. He'll let it happen to you to show you that he's God and he wants to reign all of your life by leaving you in a position you can't help yourself in. And I went on and on this way. I thought I kept whiffing a bear somewhere. I kept smelling for him and I thought, he's near here somewhere. He's probably staying ahead of me. So I, I kept walking on like that and watching the ground. And a person that's ever hunted, don't just walk through the woods with a gun on your shoulder. You watch the disturbance of the leaves and so forth. There's lots of things to watch, he says. And dropping down, there was a great big deer come out. And I thought, well, my, I'm a long way from home, but that's just the one I want. So here he'd found his moment. And so I'd shoot the deer, and I went around, and I thought, well, now I'll, I'll tell you what I do. I'll slip back. He shot the, shot the deer, was going to go back to his wife, and would go pick up the deer later. I'll slip right back. I said, looky here, it's after 1 o'clock. Why, she'll be waiting for me. He was getting a little late, like I uh, tend to do all the time. And so I struck up the canyon, just a little water rippling like this, and I took right up the canyon just as hard as I could go. And I happened to look up, and I said, say, I'm going to have to hurry. The storm is getting here close, but yet he's not worried yet. The storm is there. It's a threat. He could see it coming. He could see something happening, but he wasn't worried yet. I've got this. I'm a man. I've done this before. I've been here. That little storm's coming. I'll just have to hurry a little quicker. That's a long way. And it gets down foggy, and then you can't see nothing. And I started walking, walking, walking. Now let's see. I turned off along here somewhere, kept looking and looking. And first thing you know, I walked and walked and walked. And I thought, say, that's a long ways, but I've never seen where I come out. The first thing I know, perspiring, I took my red handkerchief out, wiped my perspiration off, and I looked around. There hung my deer. And now he's the first sign of something's wrong here. In my humanity, I, right away you can see there's something wrong. Yeah. This doesn't usually happen. I said, what did I do? I didn't turn around and come back. Well, I said, I, I missed my place. So I started off again and I walked and walked and walked and walked and walked, watching on my right-hand side because I knew I'd turn to the right hand and I turned left and I'd have to go back right. But this, then the storm was coming in the bushes then. So I, then I walked and walked and walked again. And the first thing you know, I got real tired. And I thought, well, I'm watching close. I'll surely know just where I come off, where that little knoll, because the mountain sided up like this in a saddle. And I, I crossed over that saddle and then up and down. And of course, couldn't see the mountains ahead, away, because it was too foggy. And I, or I could have climbed up to a high place and looked around, but it was fog and I couldn't get up. So the, the, the fog is setting in. The storm is setting in. He's made one loop. And, and, and life is starting to not quite look like it set out like he thought it would be. And the confidence in himself that he thought he had is starting to crumble just a little bit at the cracks. Of course, I couldn't see the... the and, and I was... So I went a little farther around like this, and I happened to stop and look, and I was back at my deer again. Now he'd reached a cycle. Now he'd reached a spot where he was, he was going in a cycle. Of course, we couldn't see them. Now, the, now, he would say, now the Indians call that the death march, or the death walk, rather. We can have those in our lives. The book of Judges had that cycle of victory and defeat. Don't stay there. There's a way out. Our God is present, and he's very present in a time of trouble. 
You're on a knoll or a fat, flat place, he says, and you're walking in a circle, no compass, nothing. He says, I never took a compass in the woods. I just thought I was too good. I couldn't get lost. You see, God had to learn me some sense. To put some brains in my head, he says. To let me know I wasn't self-sufficient. I wasn't as good as I thought I was. I want to read that one more time. Because I think as humans, we get this way. He said, God had to learn me some sense. Put some brains in my head to let me know I wasn't self-sufficient. I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And I kept walking around and I came back to the deer. I did that three times. And I knew I was lost. And then I got shaky. It was down about 4.30 in the afternoon, nearly 5. Remember, it was 1 o'clock and now it's almost 5. Plum getting dusky, almost dark, and I thought, mercy, now what will I do? My wife's all worried. She'll die as sure as the world. Her and that baby both in these mountains tonight. So it starts out where he sees the storm coming. But then the storm's in the bushes and the fog's rolled in. Then he keeps coming back to his deer, and now he realizes it's getting late, and my family's at stake. So the stakes within hours have come up and come up and come up to a place where it's starting to get beyond human help. But he's not given up yet. He's still in his own spot saying, I'm self-sufficient. So I sat down on a rock and I thought, now you think you're lost, don't you? But you're not. And I said, why that fog don't mean nothing to me. Why, sure, I can go right on, certainly. Now let's see, the wind's coming in right in my face. If it's coming in my face, then I've got to turn back this way because the wind was in my face when I come up and I'll go right for that. And I thought and I started up and I said, sure, I'm all right, trying to bluff myself. Make myself believe I wasn't lost, but I was lost. And brother, that's the awfulest feeling that anyone ever had. If you're lost tonight, he says, I sympathize with you. Being lost, not knowing where, it was, where I was going, and an emergency going on. That feeling of being lost. Have you ever had a feeling where you're being lost? You felt like you might be lost. I remember a moment hiking and it was getting real late and real dark and I was worried we might be lost. It's not a good feeling. Yeah. Phone's running out. Not sure if you can get back to the car if you're going to be spending a night out in the woods in the mountains somewhere. It's not a good feeling. And if there was ever a time, Brother Branham would say, that there's an emergency on, brother, you better seek refuge while he can. Now speaking to the people, he would say, if you're lost, you better hunt for the beacon light tonight. There I kept walking. I come to some low point where it, was, where it was sobby. I said, now surely I couldn't. You couldn't see no peace. Just the winds of blowing through the trees and what I had done. He says, I'd gotten way back into this other section of the forest that he didn't realize. I'd gotten down in the giants and I didn't know of it. And there's a section called the, the giants virgin forest and I didn't know that. Oh, if I could only see Hurricane Mountain, he said, I would know which way to go and the storm is coming. So I sat down on a rock. Now you're lost, you know, but he said, I'd say, now you, you're not lost, you know where you're at. He keeps trying to convince himself, we can do that, we can walk so far. I, I've never lost the title in, from my mind, and I hope it doesn't, why are you bringing that up again? But I, I remember the first time, the God of your imagination, and I've never, it's never left me. We can get so thinking we're right, and we're wrong. Let's not do that. Where we say, I'm not lost. I'm not on the wrong path. But there's something nagging at you on the inside. There's something gnawing at you to say, this isn't quite right. This doesn't quite line up with the word. I'd sit down on a rock and I'd say, now you're not lost. You know where you're at. Why well, stand still? You know where you're at. But all the hunting and woods ability I had was gone. I'm telling you, I was actually completely lost. But I was trying to make myself pluck up to it because I didn't want to get frantic, you know, because I knew my wife and baby would die that night in the woods if I didn't get to them, miles away from them. Now, Billy, get next to yourself. I'm not lost. And he goes back and forth. He's trying to convince himself. Then dropping down, I thought, my, what can I do? I started walking on, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going this way, and he kept going in a circle. He was saying something from his lips, but his heart was telling him no, he says. Yeah. And then he says this. So I kept hearing something whispering in my ear. Right. The Lord is our refuge. Yeah. 
and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. He said, now I thought I'm, I'm, I'm getting frantic. <laughs> Wasn't quite recognizing something. Something said, the Lord is our refuge and help, a very present help in the time of trouble. I just kept walking on. It got louder. God will chase you. God will make sure you hear him. If you're his, he will run after you. I kept walking on. It got louder. The Lord is our refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. I kept moving on and dragging my gun along. I was so tired then, you know. The Lord is our refuge and strength. He says, that was Jehovah Shammah talking to me. God was present. And I was moving on, and I thought, oh, God, I'm lost. He begins to give up. He says, oh, God, I'm lost. Lord, I've got no compass. I have nothing. He says, but I still have you, Lord. I kept talking out loud. I thought, wait a minute. You're going to get out of your head. You're going to get frantic. You're thinking about your wife dying tonight and that baby. Now he began to fight back. He said, Lord, I'm not worthy to live, but don't let them die. I heard that again. The Lord is our strength and refuge, a very present help in the time of trouble. I set my rifle down against the tree. I pulled off my hat. I laid it down. I knelt on top of my hat. I looked up and said, God, I'm lost. I'm lost, Father. You're my compass. That's what we do. We get to a spot where we're so self-sufficient, where we get out on a limb, where we've gone out on our own and we've taken perfect strength instead of perfect strength by perfect weakness. and We've gotten way out of balance and we've went out on our own, not on faith, but our own thoughts and our own ideas. God, I'm sorry. God is whispering to him, even in a spot where he was in pride and in his own self, walking his own way, and God's whispering to him, telling him, I'm a present help. So if God is saying he's a present help, how close was God right then? For myself, God, I'm lost, he said. I'm lost, Father, and you're my compass. For myself, being big-headed like I was, and thought I knowed all about it, he says, I'm not worthy to live. I don't know if I would have had the humility to make that kind of statement. I would have still wanted to live. But that's what he prays. For my big-headed ways, he says, I'm not worthy to live. And then he says, I should be lost. And then he makes another statement. I should have to stay out here for days and eat porcupines to live. But he says, God, but think of my dear wife. She's innocent. And that baby will die tonight over there, the only child we have. I'm lost, Father, totally lost. Won't you help me? I gotta ask you a question. How close do you think God was? In our moments where it feels like he's the farthest thing away, in our moments where it feels like we've been wrong and we have been wrong, where we've gone our own way, where we've been off base completely, how close do you think God is when he wants to dwell in Zion, when he wants to be in us? Brother Branham had been praying, and then he says, I was going along here like this. And he says, and he had picked a direction to go and different things. And he says, I felt somebody, Brother Branham knocks on the pulpit, he says, felt somebody on my shoulder. And I turned to look and see who it was, and just then the fog cleared away. I followed through that bushes. I seen I was going straight into Canada, the way I was going to my knowledge. And here, Hurricane Mountain right up there, it was on my other side. See, I was passing right by it. He pointed himself around. I raised up my hands and said, oh, great God. And he answers the question. You're so close to me till you laid your hand on my shoulder. How close was God? With him the whole time. Waiting for him to just turn. Waiting for him to just come to the moment where he would give up. Surrender and turn back to God, his creator and his maker. He was waiting there the whole time, waiting for the right moment where you'd sit down or kneel down and begin to pray and say, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm lost. I didn't do that right. I'm going to try my best now and, and surrender, walk in the way, best way I know. And there, God was right there. Okay, let's go this way now. God is present. He's Jehovah Shammah. And he's there to fulfill all of his promises, to deliver, to heal, to save. Why? Because he's right here. He's right here inside of me, and he's right here inside of you. 
You're so close to me till you laid your hand on my shoulder. Brother Brandon would talk about how when we do something wrong that would grieve the Holy Ghost, he just flies away onto that branch and he's just waiting. He's that close. He's just waiting. He can feel. We know. We know when we make him grieved, he feels like a million miles away. He does. He might feel like he's a million miles away. They were walking on a road to Emmaus. They felt like he was a million miles away. But when they welcomed into the house, and when he began to break bread, they realized he was there all the time. He was there the whole time. They had just, he had been waiting for them to recognize him, for them to invite him in. When Jesus was on a boat, he probably felt like a million miles away when he was sleeping. But he was right there. He was present. He was on the boat. I set my face. I said, it's getting dark. You're, it, you, oh God, you're so close to me till you laid your hand on my shoulder. You're my strength and help. A very present help in the time of trouble. And what did he do? He began to walk with his hands up in the air, looking for that wire all the way back to the promise. Looking for his wire all the way back to what God had promised him. He had seen that God was present. He knew what God's promises were, and now he could walk all the way back. So I started walking with my hands up, praising God. It got dark. I couldn't see any longer. And the wind's blowing and twisting. I was going up over hills and down through rough places. No matter which way he leads, keeping towards Calvary, he said. Keep looking. He says, it may get rough. You may slip and fall, but keep going to Calvary. Just keep moving. And I got up and I thought, it ought to be just about the height of dark now. And I put up my hands like this. I know the wire was just about this high. I thought if I could only feel that wire, we might get to that moment where we begin to give up and we begin to say, oh God, I look to you. I turn back to you. And now we're starting to walk. We're starting to walk and rebuild. I, I heard a, a brother today ministering. I was, I was just listening to something, and he, he talked about how the, the, there was Nehemiah rebuilding the temple. And he showed up, and I think they had rebuilt the tabernacle at this point, but the walls weren't built. And they'd been living like that for a while. They'd been living in disarray where some things was built, but the, the, the walls were a mess. And a city with no walls is not a city. Because you walk right in, and it's your city now. But they had been living like that, and they had been okay with it for a long time. But Nehemiah had felt on his heart to come, we've got to build the walls now. And the brother had been saying, how long sometimes we stay with our life a mess. We begin to follow God, or we followed God for a long time, and then the devil had a few good punches and has wrecked a lot of things. And then we, we begin to follow God, but we leave the walls down. And we leave this undone, and that undone, and, and many things that we just let lie there. And he said, because we don't even know where to start sometimes. We don't know how to begin. How do you begin to rebuild all that the devil had tore down? But God's promised that he's a restoring God. How do you start? Start tonight. Oh God, where did I last leave you? Oh God, where did that, my child is gone, or something's happened, what, what, what can I do, where can I start? And where can God take you all the way? And then when you know that there's a promise, when he's put his hand on his shoulder, he says, turn this way, this is where you can start, this is where you can go, then you keep your hand up and looking for the, the fulfillment of the promise, looking for that wire that'll take you all the way to the promise, looking for the place that'll take you all the way home. That'll bring your family all the way back in, or that will bring the promise to fruition. He's a God that not only makes promises, Brother Max had said, He's fulfilling them now. He's a, he's a God that's made so many promises in this Bible. For years and thousands of years, He's made promises. But He's come to the end of time, in this age, in this time, where He's come to fulfill His promises. A people that will live free. A people that will live holy and righteous, not battled down by the devil, but standing on the devil. Because he's fulfilling his promises. Brother Branham would say, so I started walking down with my hands up, praising God. Because he knew that there was something that was coming. And he says, dropping down, and I got up and I thought, it ought to be about the height of dark now. I put my hands up like this. I know the wire was just this high. I thought if I could only feel the wire, if I could feel that wire, it's my only hope now. 
My arms would get so tired I couldn't hardly walk. I'd put this one up and rest that one and he'd keep moving. And I said, God, all that's on this earth laying dear to me is at the end of that wire. If I can only find that wire. Oh, that's the way we want to go to Calvary. He says, don't lose an inch. If God's promised you something, God's promised you something. It wasn't you that said it. It was God that promised it. Don't lose an inch. I kept my hand up moving like this. I said, God, surely you'll help me find it. I'm coming straight as I know right across the hill. This is the way you pointed me. You started this. That's the way. This is the way you pointed me. That's the way you say to the word tonight. You said you was a healer. I got my hands up. I'm coming straight. That's the only thing I know to do. It's up to you to take me healing. It's only you that can lead me to the sacrifice. Brother Branham would say in the message, the infallibility of God's spoken word, oh, hallelujah, but the prophet said, there'll be a stone laid in Zion, a precious stone, a tried stone. That'll be an anchor. Yes, a wonderful stone. And then God, being God in heaven, with the ladder hooked up to his own throne, he hooked it also in none other but the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. God don't want this ladder slipping around. He tried to hook it to a covenant with Adam. He broke it. He hooked it to a covenant with, broke it. But he made a covenant unconditionally. And he hooked it into Christ Jesus. There it's anchored. There's no slipping and sliding. There's no way of getting away. What is it? It's hooked by God above and by the Son of God beneath. And what is it? It's a pathway. It's a traveler's way from earth to glory. And you can't fail. Look, there's great companies of angels up and down here, ascending and descending, picking up the weary and the sick, healing their bodies and showing visions and mighty signs and wonders can't fail. It can't slip. It can't slide. You're safe. God said so. That settles it forever. Why? Because God's present. He's going up and down the ladder with you, or he's on either end, and the angels are going up and down. Brother Branham said, I had my hands up. It was late. I was moving along. I was beginning to get just a little faint in heart. And that's how it is right before the fulfillment of any promise. God's made the promise. He will test you a little bit to see if you'll believe all the way to the fulfillment of the promise. I was moving along. I think, oh, have I crossed it? I went in a few low places. I thought, oh, I'm not going to get to the other side of the mountain, surely. And I kept my hand up like this, moving along through them bushes, and not a ray of light anywhere, and the storm ripping and blowing and twisting. Every time you'd hear that storm, he would be thinking about his family. The devil was surely whistling and ripping and howling in his his ears. It was real ice, real cold, ice freezing and everything, snow and rain mixed together, or fog. And I was moving like this, hitting my hand. And he says, first thing you know, I, I caught something. I felt it and it was the wire. Whoa, what a feeling. I had known when I had held to that wire, I thought, I'll go right down this hill moving slowly. And I'm moving slowly. I'll never take my hand off that wire. For at the end of this wire lays what I'm asking for. Where my wife and baby's lying there at the end of this telephone wire, I'll not let my hand loose from it. I'll follow right on through. And I did it. And arrived there to find there was a little fire built there. And everything all right. He says, brother, tonight, Jesus Christ is a very present help in the time of trouble. If you're sick and the doctors can do no more for you, raise up your hand. Look to God until you touch that little live electric wire yonder that says, it is finished. Brother Branham would say, when the devil touched that wire... He was jolted all the way back to hell, if I remember the quote right. It was a 10,000 volt line. But when we grab onto that wire, it's our safety all the way home. Hallelujah. Keep your hand moving up. Brother, tonight, it's finished. No matter how many unbelievers and doubters and churches and everything else you have to bypass, hold on to it. For it's the one that leads you to your deliverance. God bless you. He says, keep your hands up. Keep moving tonight. Hold your hands till you catch the wire. Till that something, you feel something touch you that says, it's finished. God is a present help in a time of trouble. 
we don't realize he's with us so many times. Sometimes we miss him. But he's right there to grab our shoulder. To turn us. To show you, I've been here the whole time. I've been just waiting for an entrance. Uh, you could say, John, how, how can I be sure God is with me? And that God will help me now in my situation. This one's really big. This one's really strong. This is the one that I don't know how to... Did he do it before? Has he healed you before? Has he saved you before? Has he healed your friend or your family before? Well, does God diminish? The Bible says, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's infinite. It unfolds itself more. To us, God is infinite. God is infinite to himself. But to us, as he unfolds himself, he just gets greater. Because he's infinite. We learn a little bit more about him. We see a little bit more about him. I'll ask, can, can he fail? Many things God can't, many things God can do. And there's a few things he can't do. And one of them is he can't fail. He can't. Impossible. Hallelujah. I don't have this written down, but in Zechariah chapter 2, it talks about that, that, that city and a man that goes to measure that city in Zion. And I'm, I'm winding down. I'm, I'm nearly finished, but... I lifted, I say nearly, we'll see, but you know, I'm, I'm going to try. I lifted up my eyes, always a difficult thing to promise that. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. And he says, whither goest thou? Remember those walls that Nehemiah wanted to build? Those walls that were keeping the city. This is now God talking about how he sees those walls or how he's the walls to us. Whither goest thou? And he said, to measure Jerusalem. To see what is the breadth thereof, and the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth. And another angel went out to meet him, and said, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls, with, for the multitude of men and cattle therein. What is, what is he saying? Jerusalem will be inhabited as a town without walls? I thought Nehemiah wanted to build all the walls. I thought we needed walls to make a city. Why would he say that there would be a place without walls? Verse 5, it says, For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. God on the outside, God on the inside, God all around us, God going before us, beside us, behind us, all around us, Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. He's our healer. He's our deliverer, and he can bring it all to pass if we'll believe it, if we'll welcome him, if we'll receive him. In verse 10 of Zechariah 2, it says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord, and many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts Another way to translate that is the God of angel armies. The Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee, and the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion in the holy land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, all flesh. Oh, all flesh before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Psalms 46. I wonder if the musicians can come says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. Therefore, will we not fear? That's my whole thought tonight. We're Zion. He dwells in us. He's made promises to us. He's present to fulfill the promises. What can we be afraid of? What could we fear? There's nothing. When, he, when we come into his presence... That's where we're strong. Therefore will we not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, and though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. 
the heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's present. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Salem, come behold the works of God. What desolations hath he made in the earth? He makes wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaketh the bow. The things that comes against us, those weapons don't prosper. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariots in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen and I will be exalted among the earth. In Ezekiel 48, 35, I believe, and I wanted to go double check this, so I hope, I hope I'm not wrong, and I hope if, someone, if I'm wrong, someone will correct me, but I believe this section begins to talk about that new Jerusalem over different chapters in Ezekiel and the city to come, but he's laying out the measurements, and it just says this, this last verse, I believe it's the last verse in the entire book, it was round about 18,000 measures, and it's been measuring the city, and the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there, his habitation. God is there. One final thing, and I wonder if we could play this song, You Are My Refuge. To go back to that middle part, when we're in God, we take refuge in Him. And we're safe. He's present. He's fulfilling. He's delivering. But God wanted fellowship. Did you know that God wants to come and live in us, to rest in us? The scripture says, Jesus would say, the son of man on on earth when he was a man had no place to lay his head. But now he has a place to lay his head. To rest. A house to live in. There was a service at Brother Dottie Reagan's church. I'm sure many have had a chance to listen to it. It's been shared around. It was, would Jesus be comfortable living in your skin? And the brother had just, and the, the premise of it was, God lives in us. So he he lives in your body every day. He sees what you see. So he sees what you look at. He he hears what you say. He's he's inside of it. So he hears what you say. He sees how you act and how you treat others. At the end of the day, would he have been comfortable? Oh my. He wants to rest. Let's give him a place that's comfortable to rest. He's in us. We're in him. We're married to him. One day we'll go to live with him eternally and another in heaven. But on this earth, let's be his rest. Let's be Zion, God's house of refuge. Amen. Let's stand. I wonder if we could sing the first verse, I have found a place. And I have found a place that I can call my own. Your embrace, where your mercy overflows, and it's here where all my doubts and fears just fade away. I lay my burdens down and. Look 